Well, the major question that we're asking in this series is this. How, how do I live with confidence in the real world? The world that we live in is filled with trouble. There's challenges. How, how do I live with confidence in, in the real world? And so for this series of messages, we're looking primarily uh, at the book of Psalms. It's, it's a lengthy book found in the, near the middle of, of, of the Bible. And in order to help us get our mind around the book of Psalm, what you find in the book of Psalm, uh, I found this video last night and I thought this would be good. I, uh, we're just going to show about two minutes of it. I'll tell you guys when to, when to cut it off, but, um, it's a, it's about an eight minute video. We're only going to watch maybe two minutes of it. Just give us a quick summary of the book of Psalms. So let, let's roll that video. The book of Psalms. It's a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, and prayers that come from all different periods in Israel's history. Many of these poems are connected with King David, 73, actually, and he was known as a poet and a harp player. But there are many different authors behind these poems. There's the poems of Asaph, or from the sons of Korah, and some are from other worship leaders in the temple. Even Solomon and Moses have their own poems, and nearly one-third of these are anonymous. Now, many of these poems came to be used by the choirs that sang in Israel's temple, but the book of Psalms is actually not a hymn book. At some point in the period after Israel's exile to Babylon, these ancient poems were gathered together and intentionally arranged into the book of Psalms before us. And it has a very unique design and message that you're not going to notice unless you read it from beginning to end. Now to see how the book of Psalms is designed, it's actually most helpful to start at the end. The book concludes with five poems of praise to the God of Israel, and each one begins and ends with the word hallelujah, which is Hebrew for a command to tell a group of people to praise Yah, which is short for the divine name Yahweh. Now, that's a really nice five-part arrangement, and it looks like someone's giving us a conclusion here to the book. So, it invites the question, does the book have any other signs of intentional design? If you pay attention to the headings of the poems, you'll notice that at five places, your Bible translators have the heading book one, book two, book three, four, and five at various points, and that these divide the book into five large sections. Now, the reason for this is that the final poem in each of those sections have a very similar ending that looks like an editorial edition. It reads something like, May the Lord, the God of Israel, be blessed forever and ever. Amen and amen. So the book has a conclusion. It has an internal organization into five main parts. And so the natural place to go from here is now the beginning, to look for an introduction. And what do we find? Psalms 1 and 2, which stand outside of book 1 because most of the poems in book 1 are linked to David, except Psalms 1 and 2, which are anonymous. Psalm 1 celebrates right, right how blessed... That's good. We're going to tell you about Psalm 1 right now. So, that, that's a helpful resource. Maybe jot it down. It's, it's Psalms the Bible Project. Okay, So if you want to look that up, it's on YouTube. Psalms the Bible Project. It's about eight minutes, and it'll help you get a, a fuller sense of this entire book, the book of Psalms. 150 chapters. Now, for centuries, God's people have been referencing the Psalms. For generations and generations, people have been reading through the Psalms. People have been actually praying through the Psalms. A lot of times it's... I don't know what to pray. Well, a lot of the Psalms are, are prayers, out, you know, crying as people cried out to God and talked to God about their circumstances. Some people have sung through the Psalms. Some people have, uh, and the reason is because the psalmists themselves, the writers that God used to, to, to pen these things, they, they found solid ground to stand upon. 
And the, the Psalms show us how to talk to God when we don't really know what to do in life. When we're stuck or when we have a lot of questions. The Psalms give us the, it gives us some of the vocabulary we can use. It gives us prayers we can pray. There's, there's, we often find ourselves our own wrestlings. We find the psalmist had very same things that they wrestled with, the very same challenges. And so, uh, there's these how-tos, but then also there's, there are, I would call some of the psalms go-to songs, go-to prayers, go-to writings for God's people through uh, all different seasons. And we, we, we need that. Uh, I, I personally have some go-to psalms in my life. Psalm 121 is one of them. It's actually the psalm that God used to really direct uh, me to move here with my family and plant this church 10 years ago. Psalm 121. It's a, it's a real meaningful song. It was, it was a psalm that meant something to me before that period of time, but God used that psalm to really direct me to Riverside and, and uh, prompt us to move here. Psalm 1, the psalm we're going to look at, is the psalm that, that I go to at different points and God has used to really speak into my life. Psalm 37 is a psalm that is a go-to psalm for me when I'm dealing with trust and, and confidence and wondering, God, when are you going to fix this situation? Or when are you going to... Uh, when are you going to uh, have the conversation with that person that I feel like I ought to have with that person? You know, God, when are you going to work? And it's there's a psalm of... There's psalms of waiting that I go to. And anyway, I want more psalms to be like go-to psalms in my life. Because life just gets more and more challenging. I need, I need more. And I, I think this is for all of us. I hope this series really sends all of us on a journey for ourselves through the Psalms. Okay, We're going to spend five weeks on this. There's 150 chapters. So you could spend the next five months in the Psalms for yourself, taking like a Psalm a day, and really getting into these to these uh, words for yourself. Uh, but in this series, we're going to try to look at uh, the theme of distraction today. Next week, we're going to look at intimidation. The week after, we're going to look at uncertainty, because there are Psalms that deal with seasons and periods of uncertainty. Then we'll look at sickness. How do I how do I stand and really thrive in seasons of sickness? Like, what about culture? When culture is changing, how do I deal with that? Uh, today we're going to begin with the issue of distraction. Looking at Psalm one, distraction. Let's just define it first. Distraction is this as a noun. It is that thing that prevents you know you from really giving your full attention to to something else. It can also mean extreme agitation of the mind or emotion. So it's when, we, when we're distracted, we were focused on something and all of a sudden our, our thoughts get derailed and now we can't get something else out of our mind. Or there's just potential, there's noise, there's potential things to take us off course just constantly coming at us. So how do, how do we battle that? How do you battle your thoughts when you feel like they're just running wild? How do you regain focus? Some of you in this room like to do to-do lists, right? Anybody a to-do list person here? By show of hands, you, know, you just jot it down. And you start plowing through your to-do list. When you're distracted and you don't know what to do, you get it all on paper, and then maybe you organize it and say, "Okay, here's the priorities. I'm just going to start working through my priorities." Does that sound like some of you? Yeah, some of you. That's how you. That's how you function. It's like this is what I do. Others in the room might be like this. I need to talk it out. Is anybody like like this? An outward processor. When they're distracted, you need somebody show hands. You don't have to be afraid. You know, you, you just need to talk it out with someone. I, I'm, I'm, I like to do this, but sometimes I found I don't know. I've changed in this. I've become more of an outward processor. I need to get a lot of my thoughts out, and I need, I need someone else to hear what I'm saying and 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 ask me questions for to draw out what I'm really thinking. 
Others just want to be alone. Some people would just prefer to go on a walk, prefer to go to the, to the garage and work on a project, maybe take a hike and just, just be alone and not, you know, just quiet the noise in their lives. Maybe this is you. Anybody like to be alone? You're like, yeah, as soon as I'm out of here, get rid of all these people. If I could, I'd just, <laughs> just go be alone right now. What, what about anybody else? This is a question. Anybody into just music? When you're distracted, anybody like music? To focus. Yeah. This is becoming more and more common even, you know, with, especially with like Pandora stations or Spotify where you can kind of customize your stations and focus in on, I need to hear this type of music, this style of music. We, we've all got our preferences in, in battling distraction. But what if there was a proven method out there that worked for all of us? What if there was a way to battle distraction, whether you're a guest here today or whether you follow Christ or not, you know, no one wants to live a distracted life. I and mean, we all want to live for something. We want to live on purpose and we want to live intentionally. And so if you're here and you're wondering, I wonder how God's people deal with distraction. That's Psalm 1. We're going to look at Psalm 1 because it answers the question, how, how do God's people, how should they deal with distraction? How do they deal with distraction? Today we're going to look at this. Because for centuries, God's people, during periods of peace, during Periods of civil unrest, during periods of war, during periods of exile, even dark periods of history, God's people have, have discovered that it really doesn't depend on your location in life or your circumstances in life. You can thrive in, in, in just about any season. And that's the great news because distractions are a threat in every season. This is true we are constantly having to battle back distraction. So we need to figure out, amidst the distraction, what can I do to move forward? Not all distractions are bad. I mean, I think we can agree on this. <laughs> you know, maybe your child running up to you um, is distracting you. Well, you're, you're not saying your child is bad, if, if, but... Well, maybe you are thinking that, but you know, at a, at a point. But you know, you're trying to focus on something. Maybe it's like you're trying to sit down, spend time with God, and then your 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 child comes up and they're they're distracting you. You know, maybe that's not helpful at that moment, but that's that's a certain form of distraction. Another form of distraction uh, that we're going to look at in this passage can be quite devastating. Okay, so let, let's let's look at Psalm one. Read through this. Okay, and. After I lumped kids in that, I just feel like, oh, I'm going to have a hard time recovering because of what the passage is about to say. So I'm not calling kids wicked, sinners, and scoffers. I mean, I think when we're kids, we all struggle in those ways. But, um, but let's just, let's read the passage and then we'll start commenting on it, okay? Let's read all of Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree. Okay, that, that's the blessed man. It's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, the author of this psalm is unidentified, so we're just going to refer to this author as the psalmist. Okay, This is, this is the psalmist, and we learn a few things. From verse 1, we learn you need to steer your thoughts away from 
the wrong. Okay, constantly need to be steering your thoughts away from what would be uh, polluting your thoughts, contaminating your thoughts, contaminating your thinking and your perspective. We have to steer away from that. And the imagery used here in Psalm one is is that of a tree, right? He says, the blessed man is like that tree that is is it's full of growth, full of life. It's thriving in these different seasons. But the imagery used here in verse 1 is, is kind of the opposite. He, well, he says, Blessed is the man who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He talks about you know, the, the things that would basically uh, pollute your life. You steer away from these polluted sources. And think of the imagery of the tree. A tree that's growing is, is drawing strength from a rich water source. The opposite of that is that if... If, if, you're, if there's a tree that's being contaminated or maybe it's drawing from a polluted water source, you're going to see that over, the, over a period of time. So verse 1 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That word wicked can mean the criminal. Or nor stand in the way of sinners. That word sinners can mean people that deliberately just go their own way in life. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers, people that mock. So if we walk or if we stand or we sit often near polluted sources like he's describing, if that's all we take in, there's, there's going to be an impact. There's going to be an impact on my thinking, on my, on my living, on my priorities, on my decisions. Fresh water, on the other hand, is critical to, to health. It's critical to growth. Last year during our Christmas offering, we helped a church in, in many of you gave to this, in a village in Guatemala, uh, get fresh water. Because when we went to visit this group, uh, John and I were there, this is what we observed. We observed people walking quite a distance from the springs where they got fresh water from and, and up like extreme hikes to get from their good water sources to their villages. And this was just a part of their daily life. Well, that's, that's very, very difficult. And often what happened in these villages would be that as soon as people in the villages were getting sick, their, their water sources were getting polluted and then the whole village was getting uh, dysentery and, and parasites and all sorts of things were running rampant. So diseases were running rampant through these villages. And so when we talked to the missionary, one of the missionaries came here last year and spoke to our church. One of the things that they said is our, our people need fresh water. We don't just need um, teams of people to come in and tell us about you know, tell our people in our villages about the spiritual needs. We actually need to meet some of these physical needs in the jungle. And so something our church could do is help get fresh water. And so we got to be a part of helping to get, um, here's some equipment as the, the a couple of pastors from the village went down to the local town, bought this water container along with the generator needed and all the piping in order to get water moving from the water sources, the pure water sources, into the villages. This is critical. This, this helps um, these villages uh, sustain themselves. And then spiritual needs can be met from that point. Well, fresh, fresh water is critical to life. And as we steer towards the right sources, we see the impact. And we, as, we steer, as we find ourselves near evil sources or wicked sources, we need to steer away from those things. Because I think it's, it's, it's no surprise that that begins to impact us. Some of the some of the things that we're taking in that could distract our lives and distract our attention is we have to really screen some of the media input. I don't think we should run for the hills, but I think we need to screen what we're taking in. 
Some of the, some of the music, some of the media, we take in and we go dark, or we we go, we kind of check our mind out, and we just take things in, and we get overtaken sometimes by ways of thinking, perspective that can be quite toxic, that can be quite criminal even. Some of the mo- some of the movies, for example. They're so entertaining to see some of these movies, but some of the characters we root for in these movies, you think, man, if that was real life now, I wouldn't want to live in that town. It's entertaining to watch, but I wouldn't want to live in that city ten years from now if that's the way of life. Some of the music, it's the same thing. That There's things that impact us, and it's obvious we need to just steer away from those things. Here's something less less obvious is, uh, here's an article from Business Insider. This author, he says, he says, the author of this article writes, I've adopted a two-hour rule based on, based on the habit that led Einstein, Darwin, and Nietzsche. You know, they, they would daydream. Uh, he, he says this is the key to their brilliance. They would daydream. They would have ref- periods, two-hour periods of reflective thinking. Very interesting. They would give time each day to just kind of focus their thoughts and maybe let their or, or, or let their minds wander. They would go on walks to do this. Okay, um, it's an interesting read. You might check it out. Uh, no doubt, like Einstein, his work, you know, changed thinking and understanding. Nietzsche, however, he, he's one that mocked God, declared that God was dead. You know, basically saying we killed him. You know, but daydreaming opens up a world of possibilities. Truth becomes relative. Standards go out the window. If you decide, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go on a walk in my mind, or I'm literally gonna go on a walk, and I'm, I'm not gonna allow any parameters. I'm not gonna allow any boundaries. Our mind can go in all sorts of directions in dangerous places, uh, and and maybe some of you have seen people wander from the truth by, by focusing, you know, or by, by doing this, by just releasing themselves from the from the limits. Releasing themselves from well, and I have a, an acquaintance. He's a pastor, or he was a pastor. I don't know if he still is anymore. Um, he went from a progression of kind of moving. He, he used to preach this was the truth. He would say this is the truth. He would teach on it as the truth. And um, seven, eight years ago, I heard him talking about the Bible, and I and I started listening into what he was saying, and and I could tell he was starting to loosen and distance himself from really seeing that this could be trusted. And the way he talked about the Bible, he really he became more suspicious of it, and he was kind of it was almost like he was he was beginning to really question a lot of the Bible, and he gave himself a lot more time to daydream and to to sit under different influences, and he had a, he even had a version of the Bible that that was put together by a group of people that are that are. I would say in, in the same line of thought, whereas they're thinking, well, maybe this isn't really true, but there's some good things we can learn from it. It's a, it's a way to consider. And so uh, he had a copy of a Bible that was a newer, newer paraphrased version of the ancient book. And uh, even as I listened to him talk about it, I could see, gosh, he, he, he is really receiving from all sorts of influences at, at this point. And... Uh, it was troubling because his church was growing like like crazy. And I remember 
sitting at dinner with this guy and me and another, just a bunch of pastors were sitting there and he's telling us stories about his life and about his church and uh, he shared a story about somebody that disagreed with him and he said, and what I told the guy was this, and he flipped us all off. I was like, well, he's got flipped off by this pastor. <laughs> That's different. And uh, and me and these other pastors are, you know, just listening to his story and he was trying to make a point. And he's, he would use a lot of profanity, and, and even in his messages, he'd talk about how he just saw language as kind of neutral, and you could, it, it's okay. And, and I thought, huh, this is different. And uh, it, was, it was very concerning for a lot of us. And we leave this dinner, and, and we're, driving, we're driving back to kind of hotels. We, we were, it was a group of church planners who were collectively gathered to help um, put some curriculum together. And I'm driving back with this group of guys from the Midwest, from like the Bible Belt, very conservative fellas. And uh, one of the guys said, I don't know what to do with that guy. If he flips me off one more time, I'm going to bust him in the chops, he said. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> another guy from Colorado weighed in and he said, you know what? He said, guys, I, I, I feel like, you know, yeah, I didn't appreciate that, but he said, you know, my, my sin is a whole lot darker. And that kind of like... There was no more conversation at that point. Everyone thought, hmm, yeah, i got to be careful. But I've been watching over the years to see the progression of this guy. And uh, a few years ago, he made some public statements about his thinking on the Bible and about you know, cultural issues. And then even, even as of uh, this weekend, I thought, I wonder what happened. So I looked, and they're shutting down his church. And slowly, it's dwindled from thousands down to uh, a few hundred. And they're shutting down a final site. And... This this is no longer trusted in his mind. This is an ancient book. We're supposed to believe an ancient book, he said, that just fell from the sky and build our lives on that. And he's, he's in his thinking, he's very new age. He's very... But what, where it started was he, he got close to some sources that he, he began to spend way too much time uh, really apart from this. And... and and there's, there's potential for destructive thinking uh, if we just let our minds wander. It can lead us places. So the psalmist says, hey, steer clear from some wrong sources. There's some polluted sources that could really do some damage. Look at verse 2. You've got to fight to focus on what's right. You've got to fight. It is a fight to focus on what's right. Now, the blessed man is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. The blessed person who really thrives in life draws regularly and deeply from the right source. That's the law of God. It's a struggle to do it, though. It's a struggle to focus my mind on what's right. Because just when I intend to do it, the phone rings. Just when, when I intend to really focus and give God the best, like a text comes in, or maybe someone comes to the door, or someone I hear a conversation you know, maybe it's, I intend to, to, to close my day spending time with God and there's, I hear something going on and I want to join in on the fun. I want to join in on the conversation. Maybe a child runs up and I'm like, yeah, I need, I want to, I want to, you know, interact with my, with my kid right now. Uh, many times the distractions in life are not bad, but certainly it is a daily fight to focus on what's right. But the one who's blessed, the psalmist says, they're delighting in God's law. Because they're trying to get God's angle, His direction on everything. And any time we spend time with God just reading His Word, studying His Word, mulling on His Word, it, it's very different because you're tethering your mind to God's truth and you're, you're, you're starting there. 
You're making this your starting point. You're saying, God, I want to I want to immerse myself in your ways, in your thoughts, in your heart. I want to understand what you're saying. So God, lead me through your word. Help me to wrestle with your word. It's very different from just reflective thinking where I say, God, sky's the limits. Or not God, but hey, Josh, sky's the limits today. I'm just going to wander. For the person who does this, like what Psalm 1 verse 2 is saying, this is not just a one-time consideration. He's saying, you don't get to experience the thriving life, the blessed life, without saturating your mind on God's truth day and night and at moments throughout the day. Obviously, we need to work our jobs. We need to... You need to live your life. You gotta pass tests, you gotta do the dishes, you gotta change the diapers, you gotta pay the bills, you gotta prepare the food, you gotta eat the food. But if you're gonna thrive in life and weather the storms and seasons, then, then the psalmist is saying you gotta get in God's Word. It's absolutely critical. In other words, knowing where to lead my mind to focus is really the key. I need to, I need to know where to lead my mind. I have to keep leading it to a certain place. Now, here are two claims. You might be here today and you're not even sure you can trust God or you can trust the Bible. And so, here are two claims from Psalm 1. The first claim is this. It's that filling our minds with God's truth fulfills, it fulfills us. That's one of the claims. Could this really be true that God could fulfill me? Verse 1 describes a person who goes often to God's Word as a person who's blessed. And that word means they're, 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 they're favored, they're, they're happy. There's this... There's this result of spending time with God that they're just, they're so happy. They're so, there's so much favor in their life. It's not that everything is going well, but they're, this word blessed, I mean, it could start like an exclamation of saying, oh, oh, the happiness that results in reflecting on God's word, in, in, in delighting in God's word. This, this is tough to just capture it. For, you actually have to experience this in order for you to say, yeah, I've experienced that blessing. I've experienced the delight of spending time. It's, it's an experiential thing. You actually have to get into God's Word for yourself and see God turn the lights on. See God connect the dots of real life. For you to, for you to verse 2 says, delight in it. If you're going to delight in it, you've got to go to God and spend time with His Word. This word delight, it's like, for me it stirs up images what do, you, what, what do I delight in doing? I, I, I enjoy the beach. I enjoy the drive to the beach. I enjoy, uh, you know, I enjoy seeing family. And some of you are like, I enjoy family reunions. I enjoy, maybe if you're a parent and you launched your kid off to college and maybe they're coming back and you're so delighted, you can't wait to see them. That's the sense of this. When you're delighted to be with God and to go to His Word, it's, it's I can't wait. I'm so thrilled to get there. I can't, it's so fulfilling. That's the claim in verse 2. Another claim you see is verse 3. There's, here's why there's happiness and delight. We start growing and thriving like, like a tree which yields its fruit in all seasons. Leaves are full and green. It's growing. Here's a picture of a, of a thriving tree. The psalmist, he uses this analogy. He says, you know, like a tree. And he, he uses this analogy because we know trees. I mean, they're all over the planet. So you can go look at a tree and say, wow, that's... That tree must be drawing from a healthy source. This thing is, the root system is drawing from a healthy source. The opposite of that is, you know, something that's sick, it's weak, it's dying on the inside. And so, distractions keep us empty. Remember, I find myself standing way too long near the wrong sources or sitting and lingering near the wrong influences. I, I, I may think I need those, but I find a 
I find that I'm just parched. I'm weak. I'm, I'm dying on the inside. Here's a picture of some trees from my own yard. Now, I'm not a farmer, and this is not going to be a shocker to you. There's my thriving, luscious trees right there. I mean, I've got on the left, I've got a lemon tree. In the middle, there's actually three trees. You probably can't see it from the back. Um, but there's a lemon tree to the left, there's an apple tree in the middle, and a little orange tree. Now, this is Riverside. We're known to grow orange trees. So I figure I ought to have an orange tree in my yard. My orange tree is the most pathetic one. It's on the far right. <laughs> it's yet to produce an orange. Five year, these are five-year-old trees. Let me say it again. I'm not a farmer, okay? I know. I got some people looking at me like, just that's pathetic. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, this, I, mean, I, I don't have a green thumb. No joke, you know. Okay, the healthiest tree is that lemon tree. It's got, it's got about 75 lemons on it this year. Sadly, most of them are, are hanging on a branch that goes over my neighbor's yard. So I'm trying to figure out how to overnight build some structure to kind of bring it back into the... Now, I'm, I'm going to be generous with my, my lemons, you know. And so, But it, it, that lemon tree is actually getting some good nutrients. You know, it's actually got some water coming to it. It's rooted well. It's, it's done fairly well. Uh, the next one I have is this apple tree, okay? It's doing okay. It actually has about 10, or, uh, 10 apples this year. I should say it had 10 apples till soccer ball took out four or five of them. So right now it's got four or five apples left on it. But then the tree furthest from our house is this, is our orange tree. <laughs> there it is. Five-year-old orange tree, folks. There it is. Doesn't get good water. Struggles to survive each season. Um, you know, they all seem to start out initially pretty strong. But the lemon tree has, has done much better than the orange tree. And I can't see underground, but I, I'm sure that the orange tree, that weak tree, is probably drawing strength from my neighbor's yard. Because it's near the back fence. I think it's just further and further from good water sources. So I think it's drawing from my neighbor's yard. And it just stays pretty immature. And it's surviving, but barely. The first year, though, they all looked like they were off to a good start. I was like, yeah, we're going to have a great you know, crop someday. But year after year, I start seeing... What's tied into the right sources and what's not? And that's true for many of us. Sometimes we root our lives next to friends that are on track in their faith. And we we get close to godly Christian friends, but we don't draw from God's word for ourselves. We we draw from others in our lives that we think, man, they're on track. I'm going to get close to them. And so we start drawing our strength by trying to draft off of other people. And that may get you... Buy for a few seasons, but it will not last. If you're not drawing deeply from God's Word, if you're not tied into a a rich water source, you can't draft off of others for very long. And over time, you see the difference. Over time, over five years, over ten years, you see people that are minimally growing because they're not spending time in God's Word for themselves. They're not delighting in God's Word day and night. And because of that, there's minimal growth. Now here, as we wrap up, just some thoughts on finding pleasure from God's Word. How to do that from verse 1. Celebrate. Celebrate when God comes through. When you get into His Word and you see His Word come to life and you see, hey, I apply it to my life and I experience the blessing or the benefit of of what he's saying. I, he said, hey, obey these commands or follow these things. Walk carefully in these ways. And I did those things and I actually saw God come through. Celebrate that. Write it down. Note it. Reflect on that. Share that with someone. That you know, The times that you see God's Word connect to your life and you see the benefit of walking with Him closely, share that with someone. Don't just let that escape your mind because you're going to want to come back to that. The seasons 
that you knew God was really speaking to you through His Word. Uh, maybe He gave you a specific answer. Maybe it was comfort and you were struggling and you thought, I just need, I need, I need God to speak to me right now. And so you go to His Word and His truth just, it, it comforts you. It, 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 it sees you through that season. Or maybe you have a question and you're just plagued with, with some thought and you go to God's Word looking for answers and you find the answer there. Whatever it is, note that and then celebrate. Share that with others. Uh, this past week, I was, I've been in Luke and I've been going very slowly through the book of Luke. And one of the things that I was reading, and I mean, if it, it, we as a church have been exploring a building opportunity to potentially for our future look towards a permanent space. And it's still one of those things that we seem like a long shot and it's still pretty long shot. And so we're going to, that's the announcement. It's still a long shot. <laughs> so we don't know, but we're just trusting God every day. Uh, but it's been a struggle. I want, I, I want to, I have to admit that it's hard to just wait on God and not know what the plan is. Like, God, are we gonna are we gonna move out of this space and into a more permanent space, or what's the plan? And it's felt like this. Just exploring this building opportunity, it's felt like I'm at Magic Mountain. It's just like some days I'm told, "Wow, you guys are in first position." The city, you know, the seller thinks they're thrilled with your offer, and then the next day, you guys are chopped liver, <laughs> and and it's just like. Eh. And then I'm like, oh, I can't ride this wave. And so I was in my quiet time and and I was reading this passage and it's from Luke 9 and basically Jesus, this is Him preparing His followers, His disciples, that He's going to be turned over and crucified. He's going to be handed over to the authorities. And so He tells His disciples this. He said, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But he starts and he says, let this sink into your ears. And then it says, they didn't understand what word he said. <laughs> it, said it, it was concealed from them. They couldn't understand what he was saying. They didn't get what he was saying. Which is why he probably said, let this sink into your ears. And you can imagine them, okay, focus, focus. And he says, the Son of Man, that's his t- title for himself, is about to be handed over to, you know, t- into the hands of men. He's, he's basically saying, I, 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 I'm going to be handed over. And he's giving them clues about basically his mission and, and what's going to happen to him. And they, it's just like this. Like God's plan was really concealed you know, from them. And so it was just, they're just constantly like, what do you say? And they're, they're not really sure, especially about this. And as I was thinking about this and really mulling, I was... Meditating on God's word, what that means is I'm just mulling. I'm letting, I'm sitting there slowly. I'm, I'm reflecting on it. What, what, what would have happened if, if the disciples understood that Jesus was telling them, "Hey, I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. I'm going to, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to offer up my life for the world." What might have the disciples done? They, they probably would have said, "Well, we're going to get in the way of that. We're going to, we're going to stop that plan. That ain't going to happen. No leader of ours is going to do that because if you speed up." Peter in the garden, Jesus is about to be handed over. What does Peter do? When, when the authorities come to arrest Jesus, Peter, he grabs one of the guy's knives and he slices the guy's ear off. He, you're not going to touch my master. He's blo- <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, 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 Peter. He heals the guy's ear. He said, we're not going to result to violence. You know, this isn't how we're going to do this. If the disciples knew the plan, they more than likely would have blocked the plan. They would have... They Maybe probably messed the plan up. I mean, they would have tried to... Who knows 
if they had gotten too involved in the situation, this is like me. I started thinking, you know what? God, you wanted the disciples just to trust in you. You didn't show them the full plan all up front. You began to reveal more and more of the plan to them. When I start getting my hands around all the details, I start trusting in the plan myself rather than trusting in God and walking with Him. And so, that... As I was reflecting on what was going on in this passage, I could really see, I need to trust God with the plan here, the things He's revealing to me. And I need to walk with Him. I don't need to trust right now in in seeing everything. The very next day, I was struggling with some parenting issues in real life, having patience with my kids. And the very next set of verses, it was talking about pride and how that impacts parenting and, and humility. And I thought, huh. God, that's that's for me. Like, there's some insights I can I can take right now from that. And as God, as I spend time with God, and, and I, and sometimes it just intersects with my real life. I can celebrate. Oh God, thank you for, mate, thank you for giving us insight for here and now. So as I, as we, you know, hear God and as He speaks to us, celebrate that, share that, saturate your mind with His truth. You find pleasure when you do that. As you just mull. On God's word, day and night. You know, this implies like giving God the bookends. You know, there were, there's folks that they really are faithful to, to to bookend their lives. Charles Spurgeon he has a, a devotional called Morning and Evening Devotionals, and it's just a way to kind of get focused on God's word before the day starts and at the close of the day. But as you do that, however you spend time with God, it's it's got to be regular. Which is this last point: plant yourself regularly. Don't don't be rushed. When you meet with God, something that has helped me is realizing that when I'm meeting with God, to avoid turning this into a chore or a duty, I, I just have to re- simply remember, I'm building a relationship with someone to enjoy. As you spend time with God, if it has become a chore, just remember, this, this is a living God who desires to meet with us and who, who takes delight in us. And as we draw close to Him, He speaks to us. Whether you're a student, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a parent, grandparent, what's distracting you? What's keeping you distracted from really hearing from God? If, if you will focus and, and plant yourself and draw from the rich water source of God's Word, He will really sustain you. He'll cause your life to thrive. There's some... You know, rich promises that we find attached to someone who who delights in God's law, meditates on it day and night. Look at these next steps. Determine to spend unhurried time with God. Maybe if there's something specific there that you've noted, maybe jot down how to personalize that. Or here's another next step to consider. Ask two or three others about the difference this has made for them. There are people in this room that walk with God in the in a real regular sense, they dig into God's Word for themselves, and they've been doing that for years. You might want to just say, hey, tell me about that. Tell me about how, what does your time with God look like? Where do you do that? When do you do that? How do you protect that time? What, what do you, when you're, when you're talking to God or when you're reading His Word, what are you looking for? Um, what should I look for? How do, how do you respond in prayer? What does that look like? Um, how do you deal with the, the distractions that come up. How do you not 
get rushed or feel rushed? What, what are your tips? You've been doing this for a long time, so tell me what you can. So I, I'd encourage you to take this step. If you're struggling in this area, talk to some folks that are here that you'd say, you know, I think they have this down, and, and I want to learn from them. So let's let's pray as we wrap up. Father, thank you for this time. As we've just spent time in Psalm 1, particularly the first three verses, trying to, trying to understand how important it is to spend time with you. God, I pray for each person here, Lord, would you, you know how we struggle in this area. You know each one of us very well. You know the habits we've formed, the habits that we have uh, tried to form. Lord, you, you know the struggles that we face when we aim to and intend to spend time with you. You know the distractions that are in our lives. So God, I pray that um, we wouldn't just walk away from this place uh, with more information, but Lord, that you would take your truths and now help us, Lord, to apply them uh, today, tomorrow. We want to be like the tree that is thriving in season and out of season, drawing strength from you. God, we need your help. We need your insights in our life. So um, help us to spend some time today, this week, Lord, really uh, bringing this area before you and responding as you point out areas you want us to apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.